continuing a, a series that began last week, Jonah, God's Relentless Grace. And uh, so we're going to continue in, in the book of Jonah this morning. Have you heard the expression, a cautionary tale? Oh, that's a cautionary tale. Uh, it, it means a story that gives a warning. Um, how many of you know the story of Frankenstein? Anybody? Frankenstein? You know? uh, okay, so it's a, it's a cautionary tale about if science goes too far, right? Science without ac- accountability. Or Hansel and Gretel, the two kids that go into the forest and they get caught by the witch, right? It's a cautionary tale. Don't go where your parents have told you not to go, right? It's something scary. Well, I think that Jonah is a cautionary tale. But it's a true cautionary tale. It's fact. Cautionary tales can be fact or fiction. They can be, you can have a cautionary tale of an NFL quarterback telling a younger quarterback, here's what I did, don't do that. And that's a cautionary tale. Or a business person who says, I tried this, but it didn't work, so you might not want to try that. And that's a cautionary tale. In this case, I think Jonah experienced this in his real life, and he came back, and people were like, what happened to you? And he said, well, let me tell you. And somebody wrote it down, and we have a cautionary tale. And so this morning, I want to share with you some lessons, if we can go to the next slide, please, of a prophet who hit rock bottom, literally, and he was just like, just throw me overboard. I'm done. Stick a fork in me, I'm done. And maybe... I don't know about you, but I've had a number of times in my life where I'm just like, I'm done. I'm done. Just get rid of me. Just, you know. Um, Maybe you're there today. I hope not, but uh, chances are some people here are there today. I've been there as a teen. I've been there, oh man, I was there as a four-year-old when Angie didn't want to be my girlfriend. I'm done. I just give up. But, and I've been there as, a, as an adult, as a parent, as a missionary. Life is hard. And I think, I love, I love how the Bible is honest enough to show when God's people are just done. And they're at the end, and it's this real. So we're going to look at that this morning. Pastor Scott did a great job introducing the book last week, so I'm not going to go into that. You can see the video or audio online. Um, but this week, our story carries us further into the, into the true story of Jonah. So I invite you to just join me in prayer. Um, we just want to ask God to speak to us. That's the most important thing, um, that he would work in us and change us through his word. So I invite you to ask him um, as I pray, God, we, we invite you into our lives. Either, whether we're at our end right now, at rock bottom right now, or not, we know that we need you. And so we invite you to come and help us, God. Show us what you want to show us. Teach us. Correct us. Get us back on our feet. And help us be close to you and find that 
full life that you've promised. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to just read the story as far as we're going. We're not going to finish the story, um, so we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger, but that's okay. You can take it. Uh, Jonah, 1, 1 through 16. Okay? So um, just follow along. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, the first three verses, which Pastor Scott shared last week. Um, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay, so let's just recap here. So God comes to Jonah, who was a prophet, of a, a, a member of God's people, Israel, and tells him to go and speak, it says, preach against the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, Scott told you all about Nineveh last week. Bad, bad culture. You think our culture's gotten bad in the last 10 years. Bad culture, okay? And they had a lot of problems, and God said, preach against it. Now, that didn't mean bring fire from the heavens and destroy it. What it meant was, go tell them, warn them, that if they do not change they're going to be in trouble. God will judge them. That was God's heart. He wanted to warn them so that they would turn and change their lives. Okay? So, but Jonah ran away and um, disobeyed God, and Nineveh was this way. Jonah went that way. Okay? So verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship that Jonah was on threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So now we've got uh, an introduction to the three main characters in our cautionary tale. We have God, we have the sailors, and we have Jonah. So as we, as we go through here, Kind of be thinking, who are these people and what's going on? Then verse 6, the captain went to Jonah and said to him, how can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. They, remember, the, the, the sailors had already cried out to their gods and it didn't work. So now they're saying, okay, let's try Jonah's God. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for, responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell to, on Jonah. Now, you may have heard of casting lots. Um, Jesus, when he was being crucified, the soldiers cast lots to see who would get the different pieces of his clothes. It's kind of like rolling dice or um, shaking bones and seeing how things go or drawing uh, straws and see who gets the longest straw. Okay, it's a way of randomizing a decision and leaving it up in their minds and in actuality sometimes to God to see what happened. Okay, in this situation, God used casting of lots to point the finger to Jonah. 
So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked Jonah, tell us who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Which is like, in the middle of the storm, they're asking all these questions. But in, in their culture, that's what you did. When you needed to find out more about someone, these were the questions you asked. Okay? In, in Cameroon, when we were working with people, every time you met someone, you would ask the same questions. Hi, how are you? How is your family? Did you sleep well last night? You know, there were certain things that you did as a part of your cultural relationship. And that's the same thing that was going on here. When they needed to know about someone, these were the, same, these were the things they asked. Who's responsible for this? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? What are, who are your people? And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This is important because he's just introduced them to the one true and living God. And um, this is a point where we want to remind ourselves when, when the Bible prints the word Lord with all capitals, it's a, a, an indication that the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, was used there. And the, the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, was so important and, they, and so sacred to them that they never spoke even that word because they didn't want to take the Lord's name in vain. So instead, they would use the Hebrew word Adonai, which means God. And so that, that's represented by the word Lord with a capital L and then small caps, O-R-D, in most of our Bibles, okay? So when, when Jonah says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, he's, he's actually told them, I worship Yahweh. It is a specific God. This isn't, I didn't research the gods of ancient Near East or, or remind myself of them, but it wasn't one of their gods, it wasn't, um, name some gods, that, false gods, Baal or Molech or someone like that. Thank you. I know those names. It's just, um, so it wasn't those. It was Yahweh, this God. And this God is the one, the God of heaven, the one who made the sea that is about to kill us, and the one who made the dry land, which is where we'd rather be right now. Okay, so he's introduced them to God. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They already knew he was running away from Yahweh because he had already told them that when he got on the ship. They were like, why are you going to Tarshish? He's like, I'm running away from God. Okay, that's what you want to do. Well, you know, you've got the money we're paying. You're paying us. So he had already told them that, but they were like, this is serious. You're not just running away from... I mean, you're running away from God is about to kill us all. Something bigger is going on. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah said, pick me up and throw me in the sea. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord. They didn't cry out to their gods. They cried out to Yahweh. The sailors, who hadn't worshipped God before, are now crying out to him and saying, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Pretty cool story. But we don't know what happened to Jonah except he went overboard. Oh, well, you probably know what happened. But We're suspending uh, our, our knowledge there. So we want to look at three lessons that I think if Jonah was here today, he would say, this is part of the story that you need to understand. These are lessons from Jonah. And the first one is, sometimes unbelievers show more faith than believers. Ugh, I don't like that one. Uh, it, It shames me, right? It's like, I should know better. But sometimes unbelievers show more faith than believers. In this case, the sailors show more faith and more sense than Jonah does, right? The sailors try to save the boat, and the people on the boat, they even try to save Jonah, who's the reason for the whole storm in the first place, while Jonah's just like, I'm done. I'm going to go sleep. Do what you want. The sailors pray. Jonah sleeps. The sailors cast lots. They're doing everything they can to figure this out, not only on their own resources by throwing things overboard, but also in the spiritual realm, in the realm of gods. They're trying to figure it out. And in the end, they become followers of Yahweh. The things that they did, this wasn't something where they're like, Oh God, if you'll stop this storm in my life, I will follow you and I'll do whatever you want and I'll become a missionary and I'll go to Africa. You know, that's not what they did. They became, they made their vows after the storm stopped. They prayed to God and said, please help this to stop. We're going to throw them overboard. Don't hold us guilty. And it stopped. And then they're like, whoa. God has done something amazing in our lives. This is the true and living God. And they start making vows to him. They they offer their prayers to him. Muslims are sometimes better believers than we are as Christians. Their prayer habits sometimes put us to shame. I've seen them asking us, asking me, asking Patrice and others for prayer, for healing. When many of us as believers, the first time we get sick or we have a problem, we're like, got to go to the doctor. We don't even think about asking God to heal us. 
Their entire culture is shaped by their beliefs. And how many times do we let our surrounding culture shape our lives rather than our beliefs? It's a challenge to us. Now, granted, okay, the Islamic faith has lots of problems. Number one, it's based on lies. Okay, it's not true. And there's a lot of abuse that happens in their cultures. A ton. It's normalized. The young lady up there, her stories, she was, she was given in marriage at the age of 13. By the time she was 18, she already had three kids from three different marriages. And she had no choice in any of it. a lot of problems. Um, I met a guy yesterday morning. He's the batteries plus guy. My wife's uh, cell phone needs a new battery. And I went down to the, the batteries plus place right by our house and met this guy. And you know what? He talked out his, about his beliefs in the workplace with a total stranger. He started talking to me about God. He's not a Christian. But he was like, I'm so thankful that God woke me up this morning. He said, I tell people everywhere I, I go that God is good. And I repent of my sins every week. I'm like, it's pretty impressive. It's better than some Christians I know. My best friend in Cameroon, our partner Patrice, when he was thinking about Muslims and, and especially the terrorists and trying to get people to love Muslims enough to sacrifice their own lives to reach out to them with the gospel. He, he told us one day their sins scream, I am lost. Every time they shoot someone or blow someone up, it's a cry, I am lost. I don't know the right way in life. I don't know how to do any better. I don't know the truth. I don't know the way. I don't know the life. Help me. That's the real condition of the lost. And yet as Christians, sometimes we judge them and say, what are you thinking? You are terrible people because of the choices you make. And what it really is, they're trying to find the best way they can without Jesus in their life, without a community of faith to support them. I need to change the way I think about lost people, about people who are different from me about people who have a different skin color or who have uh, ink, the Batteries Plus guy. I'm not using his name, so I'm just calling him Batteries Plus guy. He had tattoos, and he was like, what does God think about tattoos? What do you think? I don't think that's that big of a deal to God. I think historically Christians have said, oh, it's terrible. It's of the devil. I think there's a lot bigger problems in the world than a little ink in your skin. But 
we let, as Christians, we've let things separate us and, and change the way we think about people who are different from us to where we say, God doesn't want them. Shame on us. Shame on me for letting anything like that stop me from loving those people enough to invest in their lives, to pray for them. I think Jonah would want us to really be challenged because he messed up big time on this one, right? He didn't want to go to Nineveh because they were not the right kind of people that should become Christians. And I think sometimes, whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally, we can do the same thing. Does that make sense? Okay. I don't want to shame anybody. I believe in the grace of God, okay? We're going we're gonna to get to that. But we do need to be challenged sometimes. So the second life lesson, take a breath, shake that off a little bit, get a little caffeine. I have an excuse. My mom has a little bit of stock in Coca-Cola, so, you know, every time I drink some, I'm, I'm supporting my mom. Okay, running from God is costly and exhausting. Can I get an Amen. Oh my goodness, why can't I learn this lesson once and for all? Running from God is costly and exhausting. Unfortunately, Jonah is not the only believer who has ever run from God. When we disobey God and hide from Him, and we put relational distance between ourselves and God, that's running from God. When we experience something bad in our lives, and we stop trusting God for a while, that's running from God. When we run into difficult circumstances and we decide to figure it out on our own without asking God for help and doing things His way, we might as well be running from God. As I've chewed on this over the last couple of weeks, I, I, I really believe the main reason we do things like that, the main reason we run from God is that our perspective of who God is and how he thinks about us gets messed up. It's just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan deceived them and got them thinking wrongly about God. And then it was all downhill from there. And they started making choices apart from him. They stopped trusting God and started looking for their own solutions. And I think like Jonah, we often need a fresh vision of who God is and how he feels about us and about all people. We get into trouble, we, we make a bad choice, and we're like, oh man, God's not going to be happy about that. I've got to figure out how to get myself out of this on my own. Let's look at a few scriptures and try to see God freshly and rightly. Psalm 32, 1 through 7 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I was said, I will confess my sins or my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Passage really captures the whole idea here. When we are forgiven, when we're living in the grace of God, when we're living in His love, we're blessed. We feel blessed. We're happy. We have peace. Our our burden is light. But when we're fighting against God, when we're running against God, when we're sinning against God and we know it and we just keep in it, it's heavy. And our bones ache inside of us. Sometimes it manifests itself in actual illness, mental illness, physical illness. Sometimes it's just spiritual and and we're just emotionally bound up. But if we'll turn back to him, he forgives us. He receives us back like the prodigal son. Running from God is costly and exhausting, but repentance and returning is our rest and salvation. Let's look at Isaiah 54.10. Here's another guy, another prophet, and he tells us, though the mountains, this is Jesus or God speaking to his people, and it says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Sometimes Satan is very good at convincing us that God is not a God of compassion. I don't understand why I can't always remember that God is a God of compassion. How many times has he forgiven me? How many times have I taken communion and remembered that he died for me, his body was broken, and his blood was shed for me, and yet, so stupid. Sorry, you're not stupid. I, I'm stupid. But we, it's like, why can't we remember? Our God is slow to anger, abounding in love, full of compassion. That is our God. Romans 8. Let's go to the other side of the cross now. After Jesus has died and raised again, Paul says, I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life, not angels or demons, neither the present, my, my present nor the future, nor any powers, height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's good news. Nothing can separate me from the love of my God. Hallelujah. 
Woo! If it wasn't, if God was different, if he wasn't who he is, I'm telling you, he would have given up on me a long time ago. He would have said, kid, you're out. But that's not who God is. That is not who God is. He loves you. He wants you in his family. He wants you in his life. He wants you close to him. He wants to be the God of your household. The one who protects you, who watches over you, who blesses you, who leads you in the right way. And he'll prove it over and over and over again if you'll let him. Want to know how God feels about you? Remember Jesus. That's why we've got the cross up here. When I grew up, the cross to me, I don't know how, but it, it made me guilty. But that's not why we have the cross up here. The cross is up here to remind us that Jesus loves us. How do we know what love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's what love is. John 3.16. Can we say it together? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. It's John 3.16 and 17. That's God. He didn't send Jesus to condemn us, which we deserved. He sent Jesus to save us at an incredible price to him. Running from God is costly and exhausting. Sometimes, like Jonah, we need to refresh our vision of God and how he feels about us and about others. Because you know what? The same way he feels about us, his kids, is the same way he feels about the lost. He loves them. That's what John 3.16 is all about. God so loved the Christians. No, God so loved the world that he gave. Those people that are different from us, the people that don't look like us, who don't act like us, who don't talk like us, who don't have the same values as us, the people who are exactly opposite of us in many ways. He died for them too. Lesson number three. God is always working to bring the lost to himself. The sailors. Jonah thinks he's running from God, and God chooses to use Jonah to introduce the sailors to the one true and living God and bring them to salvation. That's pretty cool. That's an amazing God. The Muslim context. One of our biggest connections in the Muslim community in Yaoundé came because Patrice had met with the, um, the chief of the Kanuri tribe. And after that first meeting, 
God gave the Canary chief a vision in which God showed up and put Patrice's hand and the Canary chief's hands together and said, bind yourself to this man. And this stuff happens. There have been miraculous healings. Patrice, just this last month, prayed for a, a man who had been paralyzed by a stroke, and he wasn't able to get up out of a chair by himself. He wasn't able to use the bathroom by himself. He wasn't able to leave a room, do anything. His, his, his legs were paralyzed. His arms paralyzed. Patrice prayed with him, prayed for them, and he walks. His arm's still paralyzed. He hasn't become a Christian yet, but he walks. He goes to the bathroom by himself now. He goes, and he, he, he goes out to the street and greets people now. And his whole family is wanting to know more about this God. God is always working to bring people to himself. And it's just not overseas, and it's not just in the Bible. You guys know the town of Edgerton? Little town not far from here. We used to live there. Just this last couple months, I heard from two people that were lost when I knew them in Edgerton 10 years ago. And they said, we're following Jesus now. We wanted you to know you made a difference in our lives. And I didn't do anything special. I just loved them, shared what I knew. I was myself. And you guys can do that too. Just be yourself. We never know what God's been doing in the lives of other people. We don't know how he has prepared them to hear the gospel. But if we're prayerful, if we ask God to lead us to people that he's working on, then we can trust him that he will do it. We don't need to be afraid of what others think or what they'll say. Who cares? Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. It's enough. We just need to be who God made us. Share with people what we know about God. We don't need a seminary degree. We just need to know Jesus. Sometimes it might take years to see the results, but sometimes even without much effort on our part, God uses us to bring people into his family. So let's go to the last slide. Finish up. What's God saying to you today? How do you think about the lost? Maybe, maybe God wants you to ask him to give you his love for the lost. God asked me to do that when I was in high school. It's changed the course of my life. I said, Jesus, help me love people like you do. Ask God to connect you with some lost people. Chances are you already know some. Ask him to help you to show and tell, him, tell them about his love. Are you running from God right now? Are you far from him? Get back to him as fast as you can. Don't waste a moment of your life. Find the lie that Satan has deceived you with. Get to know God better. Stop running. Ask for help. Sometimes we get in, into situations where we can't get ourselves out. We can't fix it ourselves. Ask for help. That's what the family of, of God is for. Finally, have you gone... Have you joined God in his mission? God's always working, right? Here and around the world. Pray for lost people. Ask for guidance in reaching out. Support missions. Get training. How you can do missions right where you are. How you can better share your faith 
There's lots of good materials, resources available. Ask your church, ask your pastors how you can get involved. Here's the bottom line. Don't run from God. Okay? And let's just encourage each other with that from time to time. Tell, tell your friend, hey, Jonah check, don't run from God. Anytime any of us run from God in any way, it means we're not thinking straight. If we were thinking straight, we'd always run to God. He's just that good. He never fails. His love is wonderful. He's the best. Sorry. He's the best. I, I, okay. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, then it doesn't make sense. But if you have, okay. He's always the best. He's not like anyone else we've ever met. You know humans that have failed you. God never will. He doesn't. He doesn't do that. He doesn't know how. He's always only perfectly wonderful and loving and good, and Jesus is his proof. If you've never met Jesus, I encourage you to take a look at him. Stalk him on the web of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Check him out. He's amazing. And he says, come. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll set you free. I'll lead you on an adventure like none you've ever imagined. And he'll invite us as we walk with Jesus into the wonderful privilege of helping other people to know him. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message. Thanks for speaking to us. And we pray that you will change us. We don't want to hear and forget. We ask this in Jesus' name.